0: Formal welcome to Torah Studies. It is great to see you all. Today is January 20th, 2021, and it is great to be studying Torah together on this fine day. All right, Torah portion this week is Bo. And I've been teaching Torah Studies for many years now, and I always like to say, Bo knows Torah. And not everybody gets the reference because, you know, it's been a few years and not everyone's a sports fan or whatever. But if you get it, you got it. If not, it's going to be too complicated to explain. There you go, Dr. Maxi. I love that. So here's the deal. Torah portion is bow. This is the portion with the exodus. The portion with the exodus. So here's what I want to say right off the bat. One thing that is so emblematic Judaism, and, and it's it, like you see this everywhere is a fierce commitment, just a fierce, unwavering. Hey, Paul, good to see you, um, is a fierce commitment to the notion of perpetuating what we're doing. I, I I don't know if I'm explaining sufficiently what I'm trying to say, so let me try to say it again. Um, Steve, welcome. So here's what I want to say. You know we live in um, in in the selfie generation, right? You know what the selfie generation is? Yes, you with me? One second. All right, for the grant. Yeah, you know the selfie generation, right? It's all about taking the pics, right? And, and I always think because I've because I uh, I saw I think once a cartoon about this, or maybe I just imagined what it would look like, and it seemed so real that I think I saw it. Either way. Um, imagine Moses trying to get the Jewish people across the Red Sea when it split with smartphones. Can you imagine? Let's keep it moving. Egyptians are advancing. One second, I got to take this shot. This is incredible, right? I mean, you can imagine how slow it would go. But we live in a selfie generation, and it's all about Instagram and TikTok, and it's all about you know taking. It's really about documenting what's going on. So it's it's not only it's not just living in the moment. It's about documenting the moment for whatever. Is it posterity? It's probably not posterity. It's just about documenting the moment. And you and I could judge that favorably, favorably, and that's not the point of why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing this up for the simple reason that as you go through this Torah portion, and as really you go through many parts of Torah, you find that God, Hashem, is into selfies. Let me explain. Hold on, hold on. Let me explain. Throughout the Exodus narrative, God says, make sure you remember this day, right? Make sure you commemorate this day. Don't forget what happened today, and I want you to keep on doing this, you know, do this next year and the year after. Whether it's the Paschal Lamb, whether it's the Matzah and the maror, whether it's the, you know, the general Seder Exodus commemoration, it, it, it's all... It's all about uh, perpetuating. You have to know how to answer your son, your child. If your child asks you, what's with the Seder? Here's what you should say. It's all about anticipating this conversation and education and communication that's going to happen throughout the ages. It's not about just experiencing the moment, but it's about capturing it in a way with a context that you can then explain it tomorrow and the tomorrow after tomorrow. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. This is a very big part of Judaism. Very big part of Judaism is about understanding and thinking about taking time, you know, every day to think about how am I communicating this to the other, to the child, to the child inside, to the child, doesn't have to be a child, right? Not a literal child. The other who's learning, right? It's about how, to, how is this communicated? It's no, it's, it's no surprise, therefore, that Judaism has been around for 3,300 years. Well, if you count from Abraham, 35, 3,600 years, right? If you think short-term, you're going to have short-term. The reason why Judaism is around is because in every generation, you and I have heard the call Right? It's not just about the moment, it's about the selfie. And I don't mean literally about the picture, but it's about how are we capturing it to then share it? Right? Taking the selfie and then sharing it on social media, right? Sharing it with others. How do we share this moment? Passover, it's a big deal. But you could also forget about it. I mean, how many of us, you and I, have had big moments in our lives where it was, it felt in the moment transformative. And then nothing happened. And then it kind of just faded away. It faded away and and, and disappeared. And that's a shame. It's not, I'm not making a judgment, I'm just saying, it's a, it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity because really in essence, what Judaism teaches us is about the importance of capturing those moments for ourselves and then having the tools to really understand them and share them with others and frankly with ourselves when we need that reminder. So today's class is going to be all about, it's going to be all about um, education, mentoring, parenting, sharing, communication. That's the theme of tonight's class. And the the trigger, we're not going to get to yet. The trigger is going to be a very interesting mitzvah, a very interesting biblical commandment, that's done to this very day called Pidgin Haben. Pidgin Haben, redemption of the firstborn. Okay, but before we get there, let me share some texts and let's let's explore the topic from inside. Um, okay, so give me a moment, and I'm going to get my screen share ready for y'all. We're gonna do this a little bit differently tonight, I have instead of a PDF, I have a PowerPoint slide, at least I think I do, let's see if I can share this, oh yes, it looks like we're in business, all right, give me a second here. You guys are so patient. Look at you. You guys are fabulous. Okay. Let me know if you can see that. Yes. Can you guys see that? Thumbs up. Okay. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Huh? No? Yes.
0: Yes. Perfect. All right. Um, Here we go. I feel like. I think that's okay all right i I hope this is big enough i could go full screen maybe i should go full screen um all right let's get started um a, a torah portion is both tending to god's children parenting isn't only about you it's not only about parenting um, it is a class about education and mentoring and sharing. Let's begin, Sendream, Please text one. This is a communication from God to Abraham explaining, sorry, this is a, a message from God in the Torah explaining why God chose Abraham to make a covenant with. Take it away, please.
2: I have known him because he instructs his children and his household after him, that they should keep the way of God to perform righteousness and justice. Therefore, God will bring upon Abraham the blessing he spoke concerning him.
0: So this is what the Torah says about why God is choosing Abraham. Why Why is God choosing Abraham and choosing to communicate with him and making a come with him and blessing him and all that stuff? Why? Because, take a look, he instructs, his children, and his household after him. Because Abraham is dedicated to education. Abraham is not only in it for himself, but he's in it for the next generation. That is a major idea. I want to share with you one more text, text 1B, Sandrine, if you don't mind, please read this one as well. This is how the Rebbe explains this idea in Hayom Yom, in the rabbi's daily uh, a, a daily calendar thought for each day for the eighth day of Tammuz. Take it away, please. Sandrine? Yes. Yeah.
2: God cherished Abraham primarily because he instructed his children and his household. Now the word instruct, yet, yet save can also mean connects. In other words, all of Abraham's achievement per in comparison to his instructing and connecting others as well. Making them too
0: meritorious. So, let, thank you. Let me explain what the rabbi is saying, and this is—it's a very beautiful idea. The word "yitzave," which typically means instructs or commands, right? God says, "I, I, I love Abraham." Why? Because he instructs his children. Yitzave. But yitzave can also mean connection or connects. Yitzave can mean connect. Like a mitzvah is related to the phrase tzavta v'chibur. It means a connection. It's there's there's Hebrew and Aramaic uh, uh, um, lineage or etymology that also means connect. And so what this means is, understood from a Hasidic perspective, is that Abraham doesn't only instruct his children in his household, but he connects his children in his household. And what that means is that he makes them also meritorious. It means that he doesn't only follow God for his own benefit. It's not like he found the truth and he found meaning and all that stuff. And it's, and it's so significant to him. It's that he's also, he also cares about the other. He also cares about the fact that the other should be blessed and benefited. Also, if, with, with, with this connection with the experience of, of, of God, of monotheism, etc. So why Abraham? Because Abraham cares about his children, his family, his household, others, he cares about educating. One of the things that we know about Abraham is that Abraham had Abram and Sarah really, they had the first BnB. I was about to say Airbnb, but that's something else. That's a for-profit. This was enough, right? Abraham and Sarah had the A shell. What's an A shell? Achillah, and either Levia or Lina. They, they, it was a place where you could eat, drink, and also maybe also be married, but also a place to rest. And it was a place where you could go and relax and enjoy in the middle of the desert, open from all sides. And famously, I'm sure we all know this um, from the Talmud and the Medjish, and we've had many, many classes on this, um, maybe even recently, that Abraham and Sarah taught people about God. When they ate and they drank and they thanked Abraham and Sarah, oh, what a wonderful meal. Thank you, Abraham said. Don't thank us. Thank God. And they said, who's God? Who's Hashem? Oh, let me tell you about Hashem. And if the person was resistant, was hesitant... So Abraham would say, well, well, if you don't want to thank God, then I'm going to be forced to give you the bill. And the bill is very expensive. If you think, right, if you think airport prices are high, oh boy, you haven't seen desert prices. Desert prices are even higher. I yeah. Would- By the way, let's speak about airports for a second. I know I've done this before, spoken about this before, but when it comes to uh, to airports, right? So you can't bring in your water, so then they charge you $4 for the water once you're in. I, I'm just saying that I don't know intend to be a racket, but it certainly has evolved to be a racket, right? You can't, I'm sorry, you can't bring in your sealed LaCroix cause who knows how, what got in there. Um, but we'll be happy to sell you one once you're in for a very large profit margin. So if that's, if you think it's expensive in the airport and other places like that and ballpark, I know not in Atlanta. I've heard that in um, Mercedes-Benz Arena, the prices are are very low for food. That somebody told me that. Yes, is that correct? Am I, can anybody? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, I, yes.
1: Correct.
0: I, yeah, I've I've heard that, which is nice. So, but anyway, but outside of uh, of Atlanta and Mercedes-Benz State um, um, Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium Arena, whatever it is, outside of that, typically. You go to certain certain venues and things are very expensive. And the same is true in the desert. But that's how Abraham and Sarah rolled. And they did so, it, They were. it wasn't about the money, it was about the education. It was about teaching people because it wasn't only about them. And this is something I'm going to emphasize again and again and again in this class. Sharing is caring. If you have found meaning in something, or if, let me say this clearly, if something's meaningful to you, Abraham teaches us, then you should be passionate about teaching it to someone else. If it's been meaningful in your life, then share the gift with something else, with, some, with someone else. That's the, that's the Abrahamic model. That's why Hashem says, I love this guy. I love Avraham. I love, I can't get enough of this guy. Why? Because he didn't just have an epiphany. He had an epiphany. had a realization he discovered me and now the whole day he's sharing it with others he can't he it's a gift and a gift the greatest gift is a gift that is shared so those of you that join me each day for daily power parsha at noon also known as dpp so um and by the way you can totally get in this exclusive group of Torah scholars by just joining us on the Zoom. Um, go to in our website. Look for Daily Power of Parsha. It's got the link right there. Join. Every day at 12. Um, it started off as like a 10, 15-minute class. It's evolved. It's a little bit longer, but you can stay as long as you want. I'm not offended if you have to go. That's a short plug. Back to the story. So those of you that joined me for DPP a few weeks ago, when Jacob was passing away and was blessing his sons before he died, so he blessed Usher, um, one of his 12 sons. He said, May usher or His Usher's food should be very fatty, or oily fatty. Yitain ma'adani melech, and he will give royal delicacies. And I commented there, based on our sages, based on Hasidic philosophy, that it means two things. Usher, the tribe of Usher, will ultimately settle in Israel in a land that is rich. That's where the uh, the olive groves and olive oil was produced, but it's a very rich land that Usher was on. But and he will give royal delicacies. That means that not only will he have abundance, but he'll give abundance, And that's the true sign of a blessing. Let, let me explain what I mean. And I know I'm switching from spiritual giving to physical giving, but it's all part of the same conversation. And let me explain what I mean. If somebody has something, and the whole day they're worried about holding onto it and not losing it, I'll ask a simple question. Are they really enjoying it? Yeah. Are they really enjoying it? Ellie says, Ellie says, yeah, okay. I don't know. I, uh, listen, different opinions, but here's the point: it's the whole time we're worried about, am I going to lose it? How am I going to have it? What am I going to have it? Who's going? It's Nishkan Laban. It's that's not, not a life like that. So what's the blessing to usher? Not only should you have, but then you should give. You should be. You should not. Right? You should be able to give and, 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 and have joy of seeing your royal delicacies enjoyed by others. That's another blessing. But the truth is, it's not just another blessing. It's how we really enjoy our own blessings by sharing them with others. This is, now let me go back to the spiritual. This is what Abraham, Avram, Avinu, Abraham, our forefather, and Sarah, his wife, this is how, what they represented. They didn't just discover monotheism, Hashem, God, but they shared it with others. If it's true, it's real, if it's deep, we got to share. So speaking of sharing, and speaking of educating, and speaking of parenting, so we need to continue with the next text. Text number two discusses the Jewish perspective on education. You're probably not surprised at this point by this. But I'm going to say something, and you'll be like, yeah, obviously. The latest studies in pedagogy, like the latest educational studies, corroborate what Judaism has taught for several thousand years. Again, not surprising, but you'll see it for yourself in the text. All right, I'm sharing my screen. And Do
1: you take questions in this format?
0: We do, yes. Go ahead.
1: Um, So... Abraham had his tent set up in the crossroads of uh, caravans, and anybody who was coming in from any country, they would, uh, and they everybody knew that, he, and he was a wealthy guy, and he, so knowing what we know about Bedouin, they're kind of kleptomaniacal, so, and there's a lot of, sometimes violence. I don't know back way back then, but I assume it was the world was much more violent than it is right now and uh, no man's land. There were no police out in the desert. So um, is there any Talmudic commentary on the danger that Abraham was placing himself into or just did his powerful goodness and his big army uh, <laughs> detract any uh, thief, potential thieves or or uh that would come in, in his tent that he let in his house?
0: That's a that's a great question. Excellent question. I don't recall any source in the Medrash, Talmud or other sources, commentaries that speak about this type of um Ah, hi, Zaidi, my grandfather. Um that talk about um you know there being any sorts of um any sorts of uh you know scuffles, you know. Like any West Side story. West side story? Is that it? Anyway, I, I'm not I'm not familiar with that. It's possible. I'm not familiar. I think I think it was, it sounds like it was all smooth. And when Abraham said, Hey, then you gotta pay up if you don't want to bless God, they ended up blessing God and they went on their way. I don't know. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was the food. <laughs> couldn't couldn't complain about the food. It was so good, put them in a good mood. By the way, it also it's also a lesson. Right, the way to a person's uh, heart is through their stomach. That's uh, that's the way it is sometimes. All right, let's jump back into the text, and I'm going to share the screen with you. And here we have text number two. You know what? This is a little bit small, and I'm going to read it just because you know it's a little it's a little bit hard to read. So I, the first part is a is a verse. The first two lines is a verse from uh from khanoch i want to say from proverbs so it says like this train a child yeah yeah proverbs train a child according to his way even when he grows old he will not turn away from it and i know it's gen it's it's written with a he and his but it's not gender specific basically train a child according to their way and then when they grow old they're not going to depart from it. Take a look with the Malbem. Malbin's a commentary. Take a look at what he says. This means, and this was written many, many years ago, this means that education must be tailored to the student because every person is naturally adaptive to something else. Intellectually, some are sharp while others are more straightforward, and each needs to be taught accordingly. Or in skill set, each has their own particular niche where they can catch on easily and excel. An educator can identify these by examining what the student is naturally attracted to and strives for. Once identified, the educator must tailor their instruction according to each student's intellectual makeup and skill set. If one follows this approach, then even when he, when the child grows old, the child will not turn away from it. However, if one educates a child without taking their unique natural into account, the instruction will fail the test of time. And this, again, th- thousands of years old, a thousand, multiple thousands of years old, this advice. And it's, we're just figuring this out. Edu- educators, differentiated learning, ah, oh, a chap, a Hiddish, new ideas, how to teach. All right, yeah, listen, it's good that people are catching up. And it's not a contest either, right? It's not a race, but this is in our tradition. You have to know how somebody learns. And he says a few different things. Not, it's not only what they like learning, but it's how their mind works. Some people like sharp. Notice that some people like, they want hooks. They want something sharp. They want something challenging. And some people want it straightforward. Give it to me simple. Give it to me, not, not, not dumbed down, but but in a straightforward fashion. Some people straightforward, they're not gonna pay attention if it's straightforward. You need to give it to them, a little twisted, a little bit, um, little bit complicated. You have to know how the person learns. This is true, by the way, not only for parents and children or teachers and children, this is true for our peers and our colleagues. This is true in a business environment. If you're in a meeting, you have to know how the other person assimilates information how do they learn how do they react how do they understand how does their mind work i mean you don't have to but then it's not going to be effective whatever communication you're you're having is not going to be effective so it's important to understand the mind of the other in this case in the direct context it's the child right the student you have to understand the student's mind how they think what, what they like learning about you know what type of analogies or intellectual constructs they like, and then you build it around, ar- around that student. Then you might ask, if you have 50 students in a classroom, 100 students in a classroom, how do you do it? Okay, it's, it's a challenge. But that's the goal is that you educate someone based on how they need to be educated. And if you can pull that off, says King Solomon, if you can do that, not it's not easy. If you can do that, even when they get old, they're going to retain that teaching. They're they're going to retain lessons because they'll really have understood it. If you teach and it's 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 not it's not uh, it's it's not, it's not it's not where it needs to be, then the, the then the influence is not going to be there either. So what do we have so far? Remember, this class is all about education and influence and mentoring and sharing. And what we see here is number one, it's a fundamental Jewish value. The first thing we know about. God, why God loves Abraham is because Abraham's the teacher. Abraham's an educator. Abraham shares. Abraham has a blessing, and he says, "I gotta, I gotta pay it forward. I, I gotta share. You have no idea what I just discovered. I gotta share it with you." God says, "I love that." Now we have understanding about how to educate. When you educate someone, you gotta understand who they are, how they think, what they're thinking about, and that's how you have an influence. Let's continue. With Jewish messages on education, it's so important. This this may every time I read this, every time I learn this, I'm always it's like it's like breathtaking. Let me share with you this this next text, text number three, and I think this one will be big enough that um, that we can ask to to read. Yeah, this looks good. Um, okay, let's ask Dr. Maxi. Can you please read? Text number three, this is from the fifth, Chabar Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashad, Rebbe Shalom Dov Schneerson.
2: Just as putting on tefillin every day is a scriptural commandment incumbent on every Jew, regardless of whether he is a great Torah scholar or a simple person, so too it is an absolute obligation for every Jew to dedicate time every day to thinking about his children's education one must do everything in their power, and indeed more than what is in their power, to see to it that our children follow the path in which they are being guided.
0: Thank you, and and, and I, I, I'm not happy with the translation because it's not gender specific, and it's not even his children. It's not even one's own children. It's about education, it's about Thinking and it also says the translation. I don't know why it misses it out. In the original, it says, "If you can see the original, if you can read Yiddish, it's Yiddish, it's 'Trachtin jeder Tag.' You have to think every day a halbasha. A halbasha means a half a half an hour, thirty minutes. Thirty minutes every day on thinking about education wegen dem Kenoch von Kinder." You have to think about the chinuch, the education of kinder, of children. It doesn't say your own children. It says children, education. Just like it's a mitzvah. Let me just put all the pieces together here, right? Just like it's a mitzvah to wrap tefillin. It's a mitzvah to think about education for 30 minutes a day. How incredible is that? How incredible an idea is that? That that education is so important. It has to be a daily meditation, a daily thought. Put it on the calendar. Block off time. You have a lunch. Uh, you know, you take thirty minutes for lunch. You have a dinner time. You have breakfast time. You have this time, that time, education time. Hey. Um, when you talking about like the class, that you said like twenty
1: people,
2: hundred. Yeah. I have twenty. 20- like people in my class you have 24 in your class yeah. that's great
0: it's great well
1: but now but now we're not all together now we're sick
0: okay but I need a hug now <laughs> okay all right good excellent excellent listening all right there you go um all right so Ellie case study right there Ellie has 24 in this class but they recently split their class so they could have more um they got a teacher to divide the class so that they could have more. Individual smaller classes, okay. Getting back to the idea here. So let's put all the pieces together. Abraham was an educator. Um, education is one to one, it happens. You got to know the student, know the person, know the one who you're communicating to. You got to know the ch- child literally, figurative. you, you got to know the other person. You got to speak to. Them. Education has to be intentional. 30 minutes a day. Think about how am I communicating? How am I giving this gift to the other? And again, I want to say this. You're probably going to get annoyed that I keep on saying this. It's not only about a child. It's about anyone. It's about education in general. It's about sharing in general. 30 minutes a day. How am I sharing with others? What am I sharing of meaning with others? To think intentionally about this. When it comes to education, when it comes to chinuch, when it comes to education, there are guidelines in Judaism about education. Now, I, I want to turn to speak about literal education of children, because that is certainly a very direct um, expression of the mitzvah and the Jewish ideal of education and and, and communication and sharing and mentoring. So one of the most immediate applications is literally teaching children and educating children um, we were all children at some point in time and we learned all of us learned a lot when we were children and we're all grateful to those that taught us right parents grandparents teachers right educators mentors friends colleagues etc for teaching us and for helping us grow into the the adults and the and and the and the learner thinkers we are. So, here's some Jewish wisdom on education. And soon we're going to get to the mitzvah that is the key idea, the Pidyan haben, the redemption of the firstborn, that is um, the key mitzvah that we're going to focus with the Torah portion. Okay, here we go. Take a look at text number four. Um, this is coming from, once again, the Malbum. We had the Malbum before, we have the Malbum again. Adinaka, please read. Text number four, if you will. Don't forget to unmute. I just asked you to unmute.
2: Okay, here we go.
0: All right. Uh,
2: One must begin educating their child from a very young age, training them to be wholesome. This training should include intellectual pursuits, proper behavior, and desirable character traits. It needs to begin early because... Whatever the child will be accustomed to from a young age will develop into strong habits and leave a great impression upon him or her for the rest of their lives. If the training begins at a later age, however, the habits will not become deeply embedded and with the passing years will eventually
0: fade. Thank you. So this is is a very important thing. It's that education begins at a very young age. Why does it begin at a very young age? Or why should it begin, ideally, at a very young age? Because the younger the child, in essence, the greater the impression. It's kind of like, um, I'll give an example from, this is always the example that we learned when we were kids learning the, these ideas, or young, you know, younger learning these ideas. It was always it presented like this. Have a young, I don't know, a young tree, right? If it's growing a little bit crooked, if it bends a little bit, it could it could cause devastation to that tree as it as it matures. When you have an older tree, if it bends a little bit or whatever, it's nishkaferlich. It's not it's not the end of the world. But a young tree, you know, even slightly off kilter, it could it it, it could be devastating. And again, if it's not an exact or the best example, you get the idea. That the younger it is, the more impressionable, the, the more impact the impression is or has. It reminds me of a story that they tell about. Yeah, I've heard of quoting different rabbis, but a couple comes to the rabbi, uh, you know, a great Sadik, and they say, you know, they and they bring their son, and they they bring their I don't know. Five-year-old son, and they say, Rabbi, I have a meeting, and part of the conversation is about education. You know, when should we begin educating our, our child here about you know the ways of uh, of our tradition? And the rabbi says, Why did you wait so long to bring them in? Or maybe the child was four or three. And it was why did you wait so long to come in? Well, whatever the age was, you know, you can you can adapt it at this point. It's not a precise story anyway. The point is, right? The point is that education. At the youngest, It begins at the youngest of ages. In fact, another text, I'm going to show it quickly and read it quickly myself. It's a very simple thing. Um, text number five, this is from the Shalah HaKadosh, the Holy Shalah. He was a Makubal, a Kabbalist, and he says the following. One must be to treat their child to develop good and upstanding character traits from the moment they begin to talk. So from the moment a child begins to talk, which is very young, so that is the moment... You have to educate them in good character traits. Which is like to say that one of the first words that my oldest son said, this is, we're living still in Brooklyn. One of the first words that Nassen, my oldest son, said was lemon seltzer. You got to educate the child with the values. What's a value? Seltzer. I mean, that's it. It's like, it's such a Jewish value. It's so important. Now, let's jump into text number six. One second. Oh, nice. Ellie's reminding me. I get I get all my good material from Ellie Solish, right? Ellie, you're not on camera though. You want to like peek? There you go. All right. So Ellie's telling me that there's a book called What is it called? The little seed, the tiny seed, and it's also the same idea that a seed grows into whatever it grows into. But if, if there's a mark in the seed, if the seed is compromised, it could be very very not good. Yeah. Yeah, it was a small seed and it still grew. Nice. Cool. All right. We'll have to, maybe we'll do a reading at some point. Um, We did the giving tree. Remember we did, we did an event on the giving tree. Some of you joined that. Okay. Let's now go get back into the text and into some Jewish wisdom further in education. Take a look at text six. Remember, don't be concerned about, about um, being gender-specific. These are terms that sometimes are used interchangeably. Take a look at text number six. A father is responsible to educate his sons and daughters to observe all the commandments. Consequently, if he finds his child violating a commandment, he must ensure they stop and make sure they know that this is improper behavior. The above applies even to rabbinic edicts. So this tells us about Chinuch, about education. So we, we have ethics, and values. And then we have about the mitzvot, about the the Jewish obligations. Let's continue with the next text. Text number seven. Oh, here we go. This is going to lead us into the mitzvah of the week. Take a look at text number seven. Oh, before, before I read it, let me just share. Let me contextualize. So we're talking about Education and mentoring and guiding and sharing, right? Okay. And we mentioned the context of, of of a child that it's important to share with a child the values that are important, right? Ethics and values and good character traits known as midot, right? We got to share that with it with, with, with our children and with others in general then have to educate with mitzvot. By the way, what age do we have to educate mitzvot? Like when should a child start, you know, learning how to daven, how to pray? When should a child begin um, saying the blessings before they eat? When should a child begin washing their hands before they eat bread? So you have to know your kid and you have to know, you know, when when is an appropriate time to roll that out. By the way, it's no different for adults, right? If someone discovers Judaism, Right, or, or, or rediscovers whatever it is, Judaism later on in life, it's also about knowing yourself and knowing when is a good time to roll out that mitzvah and roll out the next mitzvah and roll out the, the mitzvah after that. You got to go in a, in a process that's sustainable. The Rebbe famously said that some mitzvot should be taught to children at a very young age. For example, one specific example was Shabbat candles. Ta da! Shabbat candles. So the Rebbe said that girls light Shabbat candles at the age of 3 little girls of obviously supervised and whatever and i believe mom don't you have a story of rina my sister yes you want to share that story i remember that there's a story i don't remember the exact details of it
2: um yeah the the when I went to have this once, a a a, a, um, a private audience with the Rebbe, and Rina was very young. I think she was two. And the Rebbe, my
0: sister, my older sister.
2: And and she was, and she was. Um, the the, I didn't go with her, but the Rebbe said uh, she should like. Among the other things he told me is he she should light java scandals and i said she's not three yet and she <laughs> i didn't hesitate to, to set her ever straight on, on, on information and he said it's okay she should light now
0: there you go See, so there's even except the rule of three where you can go even younger like in this case anyway the point is that education begins From a young age and as we're older and as we continue to educate ourselves because education is obviously an ongoing process so the mitzvah training that we do is also we 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 take things in as as soon as we can but do so in a sustainable fashion now now we get to the next category of education and mentoring and sharing and that is there are certain mitzvot that a child can't be taught certain mitzvot that need to be done for the child. Let me give you an example. Most famous example would be a bris, a brit milah, circumcision, right? It's a for a child to have a circumcision at eight days old, right? So who's going to do the circumcision, right? Not the child, right? You need an adult. It's really a mitzvah, by the way, for the parents to do the circumcision, which is why every, you know, some of you may know that Rabbi Shusterman is a mile, is a, male, is a certified circumciser so he would always ask me uh for the boys so you want to do it i'm like no you <laughs> by all means <laughs> you know please <laughs> carry on with the uh with the procedure so so but the mitzvah's on, is on is on the father and the mother it's on the parents to do if the parents um you know don't want to do it whatever then, then you you have an expert do it but the point is that it's a mitzvah that is done on behalf of the child by the adult. So here's, it's not about edu- educating so much the child, but rather doing the mitzvah for the child or helping the child have the mitzvah done because they can't do it on their own due to their young age. Let me share my screen with you. And let's look at examples kind of like this. Parental obligations to children. Here we go, text number seven. This is from the Talmud tractate Kedushin 29a. Take a look. A father is obligated to to circumcise the child, the son, to redeem him. We're going to talk about that uh, soon. Redemption of the born, To teach him Torah, to marry him off, help him find a wife, and to teach him a trade to be able to get a job. And some say, I like this one. A father is also obligated to teach his son to swim. (laughs) Very pragmatic. The Talmud is very pragmatic. What's going to happen? You're going to end up in the water when you can't swim. You gotta, so, so it's an obligation. These are parental obligations or really, you know, adult obligations to help out children, right? With bris milah, obviously, you can't do it yourself. Um, redemption of the firstborn, that happened, we'll talk about that soon happens in 30 days. Um, help a child find a spouse. And by the way, to marry him off doesn't mean, oh, to marry you. That's, so you think that's what it means? That's not what it means. It means to educate a child, to educate a person about who they are, about relationships, about, you know, relating to others, of being met, so the whole thing about marriage and relationships. Um, and teach a vocation, teach a trade, and, of course, swimming. So let's talk now about, let's talk about redeeming him. Let's talk about pidyon haban, redemption of the firstborn. What is that mitzvah? What is, it about? what is that mitzvah about, and what is the role of a parent Vis-a-vis redemption of the firstborn. So here's where we get into the narrative of this week's Torah portion. As you know, the 10th and we all saw the movie, right? Ten Commandments. The 10th and final plague was death of the firstborn. If you recall in the movie, there was that, I think there was that green. (whistles) that kind of floated into everybody. I don't think that's what happened, but. Whatever, who am I to get in the way of Hollywood? Bottom line is, the last plague, the night of the Exodus, was death of the firstborn Egyptians. Now, for the Egyptians, here's how it worked: the firstborn, um, the firstborn sons, died, and uh, uh, both human and. You okay Aye, come for a hug. a chair accident. Okay, so humans and animals the firstborn died. the Jewish families were spared. That's right, that's the, the, the plague the, the tenth plague, death of the firstborn only if, uh, um, if, if affected and affected the Egyptian homes and not the Jewish homes. Hence the name Passover, because the angel of death passed over the Jewish homes. Out of recognition to this great miracle and salvation, the firstborn become indebted for all time to God. And they become consecrated and sanctified to a sort of divine service, right? So all firstborn males, firstborn Jewish males, are in a sense now indebted, obligated, sanctified unto God because God could have taken them out also, but he didn't. So now you're firstborn, you're consecrated, you're dedicated to God but you know the firstborn have to also live their lives and are not you know can't live their lives only in divine service that was for the levites but what about the israelite firstborns so they're consecrated unto god they their god's they owe their life to god so to speak right and this is time i know it's it was a one time story but it's it just it it's it's, uh, it's an indebtedness in in you know forever so so the firstborn are dedicated their lives are dedicated to God, but they don't live necessarily 24 7 divine service like the Levites would. So, an Israelite firstborn male is redeemed by the parents. So, here's how the parents go over to a Kohen, to a priest. And they say to the priest, and the priest asks, So, would you like your son? Or um, or you know or what? What's the deal? You want your son as as yours and not not consecrated, so to speak? Yes, we want to keep our son, right? So he says, okay. So then then the redemption is five silver coins. This is mitzvah. It's a biblical commandment. Pidyon haben. And I'm going we're gonna go through the text. I'm just giving you the background before we jump into the text. And again, the rationale is because the firstborn lives, the Jewish firstborn were spared in the tenth plague. Therefore, for all time, the tenth—sorry, the firstborn—are consecrated unto God to redeem them back into civilian life, so to speak. Requires redeeming them by giving a kohen five silver coins. Take a look. By the way, this is done till today. We did it with nothing. Um, and and that's how it's done. But it's only done, of course, if the parents are not Kohanim or Levim from the tribe of Levi. It's only if they're Israelite parents, that's when you do it. Okay, take a look at the the screen that I'm sharing with you. We're going to go through some text. Everything, though, should be familiar based on what I just described. Here we go. This is from our Torah portion, Exodus chapter 13, verse number one. God spoke to Moses, saying... Sanctify every firstborn to me. If you were wondering why I said that the firstborn are sanctified, it wasn't me. Literally, God said this Sanctify every firstborn to me. Everyone that opens the womb of the mother, firstborn to their mother, among the children of Israel, among man and among animals, they are all mine. God is saying, All the firstborn are indebted to me, right? Because they didn't die. They could have died, death of the firstborn, plague, but I kept them alive. They're all sanctified. They're all indebted to me. And therefore, to go back to civilian life, so to speak, they need to be redeemed. Um, take a look at the next text. Again, here's the mitzvah. Nothing that I made up. It's all from the Torah. It's all from the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verse 13. You shall redeem. There you go. Where we have been using? You shall redeem. That means through money. Every firstborn donkey with a lamb. And if you do not redeem it, you shall decapitate it. And every firstborn, that's the animal. And every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem with money. So when it comes to the animal, let me explain. The firstborn animal, you would bring as a sacrifice. It would be consecrated to God. But if it was a firstborn donkey, you don't bring a donkey in the temple. Are you with me on that? Because a donkey is not a kosher animal. So what do you do? Here you have an animal that should be consecrated. You have an animal that should be sanctified, but you can't bring it as an offering. So what do you do with the donkey? You switch it with a lamb. You redeem it with a lamb. So you say, all right, I got a firstborn donkey. Can't bring that. Let me switch it, replace it with a lamb, and I'll bring the lamb in its place to the temple. That's what you do with the animals. But what do you do with your child? You don't switch it with another child. What do you do with the child? You redeem it. From the with, by by giving the kohen five silver coins. Here we go. Maimonides codifies it right here by a biblical positive command. In other words, it's a positive command like eating matzah on Passover, like hearing shofar and Rosh Hashanah. It's a Torah commandment. It's one of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvot. Each Israelite—that's important again—not a kohen or a levi. Each Israelite must read. Redeem his son, the firstborn of an Israel mother, as the verse states, every firstborn belongs to me. And it is written, "You shall have the firstborn of man redeemed." This duty is applicable everywhere, not only in Israel, but everywhere and at all times. Not only in the times of the temple. For what price does he redeem the firstborn son? For five shekels, five silver coins, as the verse states. The redemption price for the child of one month is the equivalent of five. Shekels. That is also a biblical verse. So what's the point? As my money says, and my money is not making this up. It's all based on the Torah. By the way, that last verse about five shekels is coming from the book of Numbers. So it says there. It gives more details about this mitzvah. Opinion, been The bottom line is, if you have an Israelite father and an Israelite mother and their firstborn child born not through C-section, but Born through, um, I guess, it, um, th- uh, a more typical birth, but not a C-section. So that child is considered to be the firstborn that needs to be redeemed through this process of giving the kohen five shekels. It doesn't have to be shekels; it can be five silver coins, and it's done till this day. In fact, I recently went to a pigeon haben. Do you know who had a pigeon who did a pidyon been recently? This was right before. Shutdown. It was Shelbel and Levi, Rabbi Shusterman's daughter and son-in-law, right? Shelbel and Levi, they had a firstborn son. Shelbel is an Israelite woman, and Levi is an Israelite man, and their firstborn child. There you go. So hence the mitzvah i Ben. So there was a small ceremony. Again, it was right before the shutdown. Um, they had a small ceremony, there was a kohen there, local kohen. they gave the coins they got the kid we did this with nuss it's a it's a it's a it's a beautiful um, it's a it's a very interesting and, and beautiful ceremony it takes very quick it's a quick financial transaction and you get to keep your kid by the way by the way part of the nussa part of the language is the coin asks so what would you rather ask the father what would you rather the kid or the coins and the father says I'll keep the kid you take the coins that's the language um, and it's always funny like who would say you know what you you take the kid right who who's going to say that but think about it think about it as we get older right as we get older as the child gets older do we ever say to our kids you know wait a second i got to make some more coins i don't have time is that possible is it possible that we might you know tell our kids to wait while we're on a business call and i'm not saying there's never a place for that but sometimes we do take the coins Before the kid, and we have to be careful to prioritize and keep active always. It's why the Mitzvah is
2: not recommended for two year olds.
0: Correct. At 30 days, they're super cute. Right. What you're saying, even at two, but at two, you're saying there could be some more temptation, right? All right. Coming from uh, a pediatrician, right? Coming from a doctor. So, you know, um, you you know the business. All right. So, getting back. To this mitzvah. Oh, Sandrine, go ahead.
2: Yeah, can you do it later if you didn't do it at thirty yes.
0: days? Yes, yes. I'm about to get to that. Yes, very, very important. So now here's the question. You ready? Oh, this is perfect. The Rebbe asked the question. Listen to this. It's a hakira. It's it's a question is when it comes to ha haben, who has the obligation? Who has the mitzvah? Is the mitzvah on the child or is the mitzvah on the parent? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me explain. Let me explain. Is it a mitzvah for the child to be redeemed? But just because the child's so young, they have to have someone else doing it? Or is the mitzvah for the parent to the child? And you might ask the question, who cares? Like, either way, it's still the same mitzvah. Not so fast. The difference would be if the child is older, passed Bar Mitzvah, and the Pinion ban, the redemption was never done, right? So now the child is at least Jewishly an adult. Now they have. The, so now the question is, who does the Pinyon ban? Who gives the money? Who coughs up the coins? Right? Is it Mitzvah on the child? But just when the child is 30 days old, they can't do it, so the parent does it. But if the child's older now, the child should really do it themselves. Or is it the mitzvah on the parent to do for the child, right? And then when the child's 30 days old, the parent should do it. When the child's 13, the parent should do it. When the child's 30, the parent should do it, if the parent's not Going to do it, then at some point, maybe the child does it themselves. But obligation is really essentially on the parent. That's the question. So, again, same mitzvah, redeem the firstborn, give five silver coins to the Kohen. By the way, Kohen, just an aside, a Kohen that does this semi regularly, like the Kohen that did it for the um, or for the Lapidus uh, Shusterman family, so Shabbat Levi, so he has his own five silver coins. He comes with his own coins. So what you do is you buy the coins off of him, right? And then you give them back the... So then you're, they're yours, then you give it to him. It's whatever. Anyway, because where are you going to get silver coins? They're real pure silver. So our custom is we use like real silver dollars, like the real silver, Average. like real silver.
2: Yeah, but Zaydi, I digress. Has, Zaydi has a stash.
0: Yeah, my grandfather's... A, yeah, my grandfather is like... An uber kohen. He's like, yeah, um, I'm not a firstborn. Even if I was, though, my mother's a daughter of a kohen, so she's not an Israelite woman, so it wouldn't have applied to me anyway. I have an older sister, but but I digress. Getting back to this, um, getting back to the conversation, the rabbi asked the question: Is the mitzvah? It's the same mitzvah, redeem the firstborn. But is it the mitzvah on the child? Is it the mitzvah on the person on the firstborn or on the parent of the firstborn? born. And again, the nafka minah the difference in halacha would be if the child is now an adult or of majority age, Jewish majority age, above bar mitzvah, and the child, again, it's only for boys, and the child was never redeemed, should the parents do it? Or maybe the child should do it. So with getting into, it's a very complex halachic analysis. The bottom line is it's unclear. And there's two different sources, primary sources, in the Talmud—one in the Babylonian Talmud and one in the Jerusalem Talmud. Now, I don't have time to get into the difference, but or, or to elaborate on it. But there are two versions of the Talmud that were written and, and studied. One is one was from the from the academies of Babylonia, Bavel, and one from the Jerusalem, from the Israel Israeli academy. So there's the Babylonian Talmud, Talmud Bavli. And Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud. Each Talmud different perspective. The Jerusalem Talmud says it's the child's obligation. The child's obligation. So if the child is uh, um, if the child is now bar mitzvah, so so when the child's only thirty days, it's their obligation. But they can't do it. So you got to do it for them, but it's their obligation. But if they're older now, let them do it. It's their mitzvah. The Babylonian Talmud, and we pretty much follow the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian says, no. The obligation is on the parent. So whether they're 30 days old, whether they're 30 years old, if the parent can do it, the parent should do it for the child. It's an obligation for the child. And this brings us back to the notion of education. A parent is a parent whether the child is 30 days old or 30 years old. We have a responsibility for the other, whether they're little or whether they're older. And it's not just for our own biological children. It's true for us vis-a-vis children, vis-a-vis colleagues and peers, and those even older than us. It's our obligation Education and mentoring and God's never. There's never an expiration date, like the Babylonian Talmud says. There's never an expiration date on the mitzvah of piggyan haben. It's not like, well, the kid's older than thirty days. We missed the boat. There's no missing the boat. It's never too late to give the gift of this mitzvah and to hook up a coin with five coins. It's never too late to give the gift of education to to share the gifts of Torah, of good character, of, of, of the mitzvot with someone else or with ourselves, frankly. And so I, I want to take this moment and, and a very quick moment to self-reflect on what on what we all do together. You know, at IJ, downtown Jewish Academy is all about adult Jewish learning. And there are many academies, certainly for children to learn Torah, to study Torah. Um, one second, I see in the chat let me put this publicly. Somebody is asking how to spell the mitzvah. I'm gonna write in all caps. Why? I don't know. Pidyon Haben. I'm like shouting it now. Pidya, pid, or actually pid, Haben. So getting back to what I was saying, there are many wonderful institutions for children's edu- edu- Jewish education. Many, countless. Right? Shivot. Day schools and Sunday schools and Hebrew schools, there's there's no end. But a play adults can gather to study Torah, not at 30 days old, but at 30 years old, at 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, to study Torah and, and, and to be inspired with good character traits I think, and I know I'm. I know I'm, I'm partial to this, but I think it's a very special thing. It's a, it's a very special thing that we have, a very special opportunity that we have to continue lifelong learning. So, so we started with Abraham. We're going to end with Abraham. Abraham was all about education, and God loved Abraham because of education. Because Abraham discovered, and Abraham couldn't wait. share that's why God, Abraham, we too are meant to be sharers. If you found something that's meaningful to you, share it with someone else. And it's not just with kids. It's not just with students. It's with anybody. Abram and Sarah didn't just invite kids into the tent or their own family, their own household. They invited strangers. They invited Bedouins or whatever. They invited Strangers, adults, fed them and educated them. This is our calling. The mission has never changed. It might be 3,600 years old, but really it's brand new today. And our mission is if you're inspired, share the inspiration with somebody else, right? Share the mitzvah, share the redemption. What I mean by that is if you're liberated by an idea, if an idea lifts, you outside of the things that, that constrain you, the thing hold you down, if something was a breath of fresh air to you, share that redemption, that pigeon, share that opportunity with somebody else. We'll I'll formally close out the class, and then we'll take questions. Those that have to go, you can uh, feel free to, to sign off in just a moment. So in summation, we learned tonight about this beautiful mitzvah of redeeming the firstborn, and we learned about the connection between this week's Torah portion, Exodus, that was preceded by the 10th and final plague when the Egyptian firstborn died, and how the Jewish firstborn boys are forever indebted to God for being saved, and how to uh, uh, an Israelite firstborn son to, bring, to allow them to live a normal life, a, a mundane life, so to speak, right? Nothing mundane, but, but just an ordinary life not consecrated unto God requires this redemption. We d- discussed the the debate, so to speak, the intellectual debate, whether it's the mitzvah on the child that the parent does, or it's the mitzvah on the parent that the parent does for the child or, or the uh, mitzvah on the parent. So who is the mitzvah on? And we concluded that really there's a debate between the Babylonian Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, but the Babylonian Talmud says it's on the parents. and from and, and which means that even if the child is an adult, it's still the parent's obligation. And this brought us back to the wonderful notion of lifelong education and how always responsible are the gates. It's never an opportunity. We should never relieve ourselves of the duty of sharing with others by saying, well, they're old enough, let them figure it out. Of course, you have to give space to the other and not uh, you know, be overbearing, but we're always responsible. I want to end with a final, final story. And the Rebbe spoke about this with tears. Rebbe said, people sometimes say, you know, when when we have when we hear these messages, who am I to get involved in someone else's private life? Right? So someone else, they they do want to learn, they don't want to learn, they do want to learn more about their Judaism. They don't, it's their business. I'm not gonna push anything on them. Right. Maybe you're thinking, I'm gonna sharing an insight on the Torah portion to a friend unsolicited. That's too pushy. Church and state, you got to keep things separate. I'm a friend, but I'm not going to push, you know, uh, spiritual values. The Rebbe said, we live in a world in which there are so many challenges, so many issues. The world is burning. The world is on fire, not in a good way, in a negative way. So what would happen if God had a neighbor's house, forbid, if a neighbor's house was on fire? Would you say it's not my business? It's not my business. Who am I to get involved with? Of course you wouldn't. You would do whatever you could to rescue them, to save them, to help them. So how much more so when it's not just physical challenges, but it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's psychological, it's everything. So many challenges in the world. And Torah is, is such a healing salve. Torah is, is, is medicine, for the soul, it's medicine for the mind, it's medicine for the heart, it's medicine for the entire body. How much more so should we not excuse ourselves by saying, not my business, don't push it. be a mensch, but share if something was meaningful to you, give that gift to someone else. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. I hope this resonated with you. If it did, please share. Please share it with somebody else. And of course, thank you, thank you. And of course, um, don't, a, a few quick announcements. So, next week, we are starting our new course, Journey of the Soul. It talks about life, death, the afterlife, reincarnation, souls, and the, the journey of the soul. So, please join us for that. It begins Tuesday night on Zoom or Thursday in person, you can join either. You can join both. If you join Tuesday and then Thursday, I'll ask you to teach the Thursday class. I'm kidding, I'll still teach it. Um, but you're going to enjoy We've done other courses on this topic before. This is brand new. And it's, a, it's, uh, it's, it's, look, some of the topic, if you've taken courses taught by me on this topic before, some of that content you have heard before, but a lot of it will be new ideas, new perspectives, new formulations of the ideas. So I encourage you, even if, um, thank you, Steve. Even if you have studied this with me before, you don't wanna miss this. And um, the course is also being dedicated by Dr. Maxi. In honor of her father who just uh, recently passed away. So, um, thank you for that. And uh, we know that it's going to be a true and meaningful tribute. All right. Any questions or comments? Please yes. jump in.
1: Rabbi? Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is Hi, Everybody, I can see y'all. Y'all just stand for um, So, I am the first, I am the oldest male in my family of five but i'm not the firstborn the firstborn was a preemie who came out of the womb two days later he passed away so i understand that i am not the firstborn i understand that there is no opinion have for me um my question is right. my question is what is the do we have a spiritual lineage and is there a special um spiritual lineage for the firstborn because, uh, Jacob fought like hell to get it. And, uh, a couple others fought like heck to get it. And, uh, it seems like there is something to it other than, Hey, if you don't give me five coins, then, uh, you know, I'm going to kill you. So, uh, you know, what, what is the spiritual, um, ramifications of being the, the first one?
0: Excellent question. So first of all, you, you, thank you for sharing that. Number one, um, I will say yeah to to clarify what you you, you are. It's it's the firstborn in this context is defined as the opener of the womb. I mean that's literally the translation. I don't know if it works in English, but peterecha means the one who that in the womb of the mother, the firstborn um, from the womb of the mother. Um, So yeah, so that wouldn't in 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 your in your family, so that wouldn't apply to you. Um, but there is a significance to firstborn. So, I, I, look, I don't I know that I'm qualified to say, you know, in this case, um, can I see souls and, and tell you, you know, the, the, the spiritual energy of, of the firstborn son is or isn't? I don't know that I'm qualified to do that. But you are right in what you're suggesting that there is something about the firstborn that does have a certain significant energy. We do see that with Jacob and Esau. Jacob tried to get that blessing, and he bought, you know, he bites the blessing. There's something special about it in Jewish law of inheritance. The firstborn gets a double portion of inheritance, at least in biblical law. So contact your uh your legal you know (laughs) for any other details but there's something there's certainly something about that on a practical level and that is um that is a reflection of a spiritual value as well there is a spiritual value in the firstborn I will say to to maybe clarify that a drop um and once we get spiritual then it's not as important about firstborn son versus daughter it's just in general, the first. So just along those lines, in general, the first is very important. How we begin has a lot of energy, like I said before, and like Ellie said before about the seed. You know, how the seed originally germinates makes a big impression. You scratch the seed, it's going to do some damage to that tree, as opposed to if you scratch the bark a little bit, you know, it's not going to have a lot of bite. So... All, all puns intended. One second, Ellie wants to clarify more. Yes? Flower went higher than the houses at the end? I gotta read this book. I don't know what kind of book this is, but apparently the flower grows higher than the houses. That's pretty epic, Ellie Solish. Anyway, the point is that the first, that how we start something is very important. That's why we start today with Moda Ani. Because, okay. And I've this countless times. If, we start our day looking at the news and looking at all the trauma in the world. It can get super mm. not good, not health health wise. You know, it's not healthy. Starting the day on the right foot is so important. It's like you can't. If you start it on the other way, it's really hard to to get it back. If you start on the right way, we're much more likely to get it. So. That's a very long way to say that there is something special about first energies. There's something special and powerful about first energies, and, uh, and you're correct. Yes, Donna.
2: I believe I recall that in our studies in DPP, there's a lot of cases where the second born is more favored.
0: Yes. Yeah. We so do find that although there's an energy in the first. Oftentimes it flips. Listen, in, uh, certainly in Kabbalah, you'll always find the counter. You're never going to find something, yeah, definitely slam dunk this way. It's always like, however, on the other hand, you know, we got a, a, counter, a counter logic. So you're always going to find it both ways. There's But there's energy in the first, but there's also the power of the underdog, right? That's how Vegas makes its money, right? There's the favorite and the underdog. Who are you going to bet on? Right? The easy bet is on the favorite. Too easy. Too easy. We've seen this story. you got to bet big on the underdog because that's the way it is. But you're right. are correct. In the Torah, the second seemed to be, you know, a little bit stronger than the first. We have, you know, Cain and Abel. We have Ishmael and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and, jo- and the brothers and Joseph. Aaron and Moses. Yeah. Ephraim and Manasha. Manasha and Ephraim.
2: I'm second, I'm
1: second born.
0: (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Good, 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 who else had a question? That's it. All right, it's great to see everybody. I wanna wish you all Lila Tov. Everyone be healthy and be strong. And ah, I see the cat, Cloudy in Pittsburgh. All right, Steve, yeah. Yeah, Uh, uh, Tanya tomorrow? Hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully, Cloudy's right there. Hopefully, that is... Please, God, stay tuned. That is my hope. That's my intention. My intention is to do it, and and my hope is, please, God, in in good health. All right, great to see everyone. Don't forget, Journey the Soul next week. We also have a Cafe Chabad at the end of next week, a week from Saturday night, on intimacy and relationships. Take a look. Very, very powerful um, session. Next Saturday night, a week from Saturday night, plenty of time to join, and we also have some take-home goodies for that. All right. We'll see you all. Laila Tov. Shavua Tov. Tov Tov. Tov (laughs) Tov. Everybody. All right.
2: Tov Tov.